that's one of the my proudest moments of The Simpsons is that Buster Keaton style physical yeah. comedy that was so well directed and so well executed. It's just nonstop. I won't. I mean, Homer thinks he's going to. Uh, Bart is going to try and jump a cliff on a skateboard because he's a big fan of of uh, Major Lance Murdoch, like an Evil Knievel style daredevil. Mm-hmm. And Homer says, "I love you. I don't want you to do it." He says, "Well, I can't disappoint all these people." And Homer says, "Well, fine. I'll do it." Some version of that. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, "I'll do it for you." I, you know, I'd rather I'd rather sacrifice myself than see my my son get hurt. Mm-hmm. So he does it, and he knows it was a mistake from the get-go, but then he starts flying and he thinks he can make it. He thinks he can make it and he's saying, I'm king of the world! Which was before Titanic. Yeah, It's not a parody of Titanic. They took that from us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, it becomes very clear as he's approaching the cliff that he is, starts dropping before the end of the cliff. This is Tokyo Tonight. Tonight. That was a, a remarkable introduction. Thank you. <laughs> Very professional. Yeah. yeah, I started out strong and then petered out toward the end. I don't know it's what happened. Right. Uh, how are you though? It's what I deserve. I'm fine. <laughs> it's what I deserve. I'm fine. I'm, That's great, dude. You know, I'm glad uh, I saw that Lisa Simpson made your opening montage. Yes. Oh my god. First of all, that I love that that clip of mine is like one of my most favorite. Like that episode. Uh, is the one where they become newscasters. And Lisa's... I'm glad you like it. This is my way of saying we're about to sue you. But that's cool. (laughs) Glad you enjoy the clip. Yeah, no. uh, About to cost you quite a bit of money. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't even occur to me. I was like, yeah, it's a good episode. And he's like, you're done. You're done. (laughs) This is your last episode. Oh, that's great. Well, you know, I'll fix it. Uh. <laughs> no, I'm 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 down with the stealing, stealing things from large corporations. So that's good by me. Oh man, Sweet. me too. Oh, that's fantastic news. <laughs> and here's my collection. And I was gonna. Uh, <laughs> here's all the DVDs I didn't pay for. Um, yeah, that's uh, uh, awesome, dude. So what? Uh, you're out in LA, and you've been there for. Um, Going strong since 1968. Man. I was gonna say 1968. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to I want to pick your brain a little bit, man, about just your career and everything and how you got started. Because you did you start out in stand up? I did. I start well. I started out being a kid actor. Right. But before that, I started out as a zygote. But early, <laughs> early on, I became a, developed into a child. Right. And then, then eventually a child actor. Um, but uh-huh. then when high school came around, I started doing stand up. Uh, very shitty, you know, not a good stand-up at, uh, you know, delis and strange right. places around the valley and uh, and eventually at the comedy store and at the improv, well, but that's not the th- good spots. Right. That's the thing that I always, uh, there's very few people that I've gotten to talk to who started when they were in fucking high school, dude. So when, what, like, I, I mean, I didn't have the kind of confidence to do that that's in high school. Like, what made you go like, no, I'm doing it. And I'm like, you know, what was your like mind frame opinions? You know what I mean? Like. I grew up loving comedy. I grew mm-hmm. up going to the comedy store and the improv was a kid. Like a lot of kids for their 10th birthday would go bowling. We would go to the improv. 
Wow. Honestly. And we would okay. go watch great comedians and go like, this is awesome. And they're so funny. And I had a million comedy records and my dad had a million comedy records and mm-hmm. we just watched, uh, you know, there's no YouTube. That's how we got our comedy. Right. Uh, and I thought I'd try it, you know, I, and, and, uh, I had people, I knew the owners, I knew people through my dad. I knew it seemed doable. It didn't mm-hmm. seem impossible. Nothing about show business seemed impossible, including stand-up comedy, but wow. turns out stand-up comedy, you know, is sucks. <laughs> you know, it's, not, <laughs> it's, not, it's not easy. It's uh-huh. really hard. It's especially hard for, you know, a teenager who doesn't yeah. be in comedy clubs, which is a bad environment anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's when I discovered the groundlings in improv. And I went, uh, this is much better. This is a theater. Yeah. This is, people aren't, aren't here on dates to get drunk. They're here to watch a show. Uh, and I got to learn about developing characters and writing and all that stuff at the, at the groundlings. Yeah. Well, so when you were doing the standups that you were like, what, 16, when you 16, started? 17. And I had a few personas. Okay. Terrible. Was well, there somebody that was like, because, uh, you know, we all kind of in the beginning model ourselves after somebody. Was there somebody you were trying to emulate at 16, 17? One of the things I did was like an Andy Kaufman kind of, I brushed my teeth to La Bamba at one point. <laughs> um, and, uh, That's uh, clever, though. Well, I did. I, another thing I did was I tried to be Alan King. I don't oh, know if you know who Alan yes. King is. I love Alan King. But, yeah. So I thought a funny, a funny version of a 16-year-old kid coming out of a tuxedo holding a cigar and talking about all things that 55 year old men would be talking about their wives and insurance and how these kids today and all that kind of stuff. So I had a whole genius though. It was, it was, but it's not, it's completely inauthentic. Yeah. 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 So no, I hear you. It's a bit, which is great, but it's like a sketch. It's not like people can latch onto you. Um, Good which point. I learned much later <laughs> that was a problem. So, uh, but it was funny. I got I got laughs and stuff. Yeah. But it's sort of like you know I don't know. It's not like I could generate. But um, that's cool though to be that kind of but that kind of young and know you have that sharp a comedy mind where you can pull off a char- like even a character within a stand up thing. That's that's I don't think a lot of people have that. That well, the hope was to find a persona that Underneath would be it. so interesting and natural and believable about a 16 year old kid that it would be fun and could catch people's interest. But I never, I didn't work at it long enough to get there. Did you get to meet Alan King? I did meet Alan King. I did did meet Alan King, but I mean, yeah, not, I met, I met a lot of Stan. I met Milton Burrow. I met a lot of old timey comedians and the, you know, the comedians of my age, I knew a lot of them. I knew Jay Leno and, and uh, yeah. Richard Lewis and and, oh. and Seinfeld and all those guys. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like, I, did he appre- Did you tell him about the, what you used to do with the thing when you were a kid, Alan King? Did you tell him? I feel like he would no. appreciate that. No. Oh, uh. God, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. Yes, Mr. King. You're great, Mr. King. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> I, we were just talking about him last night, oddly enough, because I there's a movie that I love with him in it. Um, that I feel like nobody's seen called Memories of Me, him and Billy sure. Crystal. Billy Love Crystal. that movie. I think that's a great, like, bo- father-son bonding movie that nobody's seen. It's a seen. good one. I mean, you know, it has the, the trope of uh, people in lobster suits. That's a problem. Yeah. You know? <laughs> when, you're, when you're portraying Hollywood as people in lobster suits, <laughs> then you're, you're missing something. Even that's... in, I guess that was like 1980 or something, or 78 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Even back then, there were no people in lobster suats. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. I forgot about that, yeah. but yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, that's Hello, cool. Lou. 
so um joined me oh nice hey. Lolo, come here we love dogs yeah come here anyway. what kind of dog is it uh she is a tiny shitty dog what's that i think <laughs> come here. Come here, i didn't think it was a great day in the way he was tapping his lap yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is lulu plows into she is a oh. uh, multi poo look She's at part that. poodle part multi adorable and she hates she hates jews i don't know why <laughs> I don't. I don't. I've never told her I'm Jewish. <laughs> oh, oh, she laughed. I was just gonna ask what her biggest influence were. <laughs> She's like uh, Marmaduke. Clearly, uh... Clearly, uh, uh, white supremacy. <laughs> and the Nazi Maga. party. She's a MAGA dog. She's like David Duke has this yeah. puppy. Um, she oh, thinks Trump hilarious. has it all right. <laughs> she barks whenever black people are on the screen. Exactly. Um, that's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> so, so you're doing that when you're younger. You're doing stand up or whatever. You get into it. Did you do a lot of the road gigs and stuff, or you just kind of a little from, bit? Yeah, a little bit. bit. I went to local where I could drive to okay. a comedy condo in you know uh, San Diego or someplace like that. So, was there something that made you like something that you felt you had the impetus to go? Okay, you know what? I'm not going to do so much of stand up, but I'm going to do the writing. No, what happened was I, I left stand up to do improv, and okay. I just and I worked and I figured okay I'll become a comedic actor through improv. I've seen some great people on Saturday Night Live. This mm -hmm. seems like a road I can take. Wow! Uh, and so I'm I'm doing that while I'm going to high school, and then I was uh, trying to be an actor, straight mm -hmm. up actor when I was in college. Nice. Um, and mm -hmm. failing at comedy, stand up comedy, <laughs> and failing at acting led me to writing. Yeah. So being shitty. In other places, <laughs> led me to try new things. That's what led me to comedy. Yeah, I'm well, shitty everywhere else, and then uh, this seems to be doing okay. But that's so. Then, then that led you to the writing thing or whatever. Who was your? Did you have anybody in your improv class that, like, you know, everybody's got that group that they hang out with that they still kind of talk to? Well, I mean, the people I don't talk to them often, but I mean, uh, John Lovitz was in my group, and Kevin oh Griffin God. was in my group, and wow. Um, there's a, a like a lot of fairly famous actors. I don't know Mindy Sterling and oh yeah, um, uh, uh, there's a guy, an actor who works a lot named Casey Sander and uh, a bunch of people I knew. You know, we knew I were I knew Phil Hartman pretty well, and I knew oh, uh, wow. um, you know a lot of a lot of the groundlings of my age, Paul Rubin and mm. Paul Rubens and and some he's other great. Folks. I know. I mean, uh, good training ground, great group of people. Really, sort of, you know, honed your craft a little bit. The Groundlings was big, yeah. So you learned big characters. You didn't look great. wasn't great acting. I took acting classes separately, but um, right. But you learned how to write, and you learned how to write big. Start with character, then go with story, and then you know it was it was good. Training. Was the was the improv class? Do you think more beneficial than the acting class? Because depending on who I talk to, uh, if I feel like people, it always feels like it's more of a preference thing. But I think more writers come out of improv than they do out of taking an acting class. Well, I mean, because I was in the company, in the Groundlings company, so it's like you had to write sketches. Right. So writing sketches on a deadline is very good training for writing sketches yeah. on a deadline. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. <laughs> That's that's a good point there. You got me yeah. there. So I, I wrote um, sketches and I and I wrote uh, things and and I was at the same time I was doing uh, production assistant work on TV shows to try and sort of see what's going on behind the scenes of different shows, and figure right. out where I belonged. And so eventually I, I did I wrote a script with a, my buddy for one of the shows we were working on called It's Gary Shandling Show, and we tried right. to write we wrote a spec script, not a not a script that was uh, authorized you, that, that right. they wanted. 
we wrote it on our own and then we gave it to them and they said this is really funny oh, we're nice. not gonna buy it um and i went oh okay uh, <laughs> i was hoping for this is funny and we'll buy it and I said, well maybe we'll do something in the future and then wow. they never did and we wrote another sketch i just gave another script mm-hmm. a second one hoping they'd buy that and they didn't buy that but we showed that to some other people, including this guy, Sam Simon, who worked at the Tracy Ullman show and yeah. Tracy Ullman show yeah. needed writers. So he brought to Jim Brooks and Heidi Perlman and and uh, Jerry Belson and Ken Eston. And they one of them, somebody there read it and said, <laughs> OK, bring these two jokers in. Let them pitch something. We did. Mm-hmm. We sold a sketch. We wrote that sketch and then they bought it and said, you're hired. Wow. For staff writership. Were you just wow. were you just pumped to have the work as a writer, or were, like because obviously coming from the Groundlings and being a performer, and then suddenly being a writer, two other performers that did what you do, like did you ever get like annoyed? Like you were like, oh, I want to be in the thing. No, it wasn't like Saturday Night Live. You know, people come to people come to Saturday Night Live like writers, and, and they resent the cast yeah, yeah. because they want to be. No, this is this. I mean, I was I was just thrilled to be anywhere. Nice. Listen, I was thrilled not getting sandwiches for people. That was my big upgrade, <laughs> and. At half the, I was like making half of what the minimum salary you could possibly make as a writer on any format in the Writers Guild. And that to me was so much more money than I'd ever had in my life. I was thrilled. And, and we, and I loved, you know, pumping out sketches with my buddy Mark. And then mm-hmm. uh, we, uh, we wrote a ton of sketches. And it wasn't like, this unknown Jake Hogan was going to replace Tracy Ullman and Julie Kavner and Dan Castle. Like, we're, we're I, well, I'm not in the same ballpark. I'm not even close. Right. So, right. so no, I didn't think, oh, that should be me up there. Okay. When I went to the, see the Partridge family when I was a kid <laughs> on the set of the Partridge family, I went, that should be me up there. <laughs> Absolutely. hundred percent. I said, fuck Danny Bonaducci. That should be me. And I, that's, that's, that's where I was bitter uh, and sad and came home crying saying, why aren't I on the Partridge family? I can't wait to make the title of this episode, Fuck Danny Bonaducci. Sure. Well, you know, I think you're going to have a copyright issue because there's a lot of shows called Fuck Danny Bonaducci. He's on next week with us. Yeah, oh, there you go. No. You can ask him about it. I was like, what? <laughs> Come again? Like, was that your first paid writing gig or did you get something before that? That's my first... TV show mm-hmm. paid writing gig. I mean, I did. I wrote when I was ten years old. I wrote jokes for Harvey Corman. Wrote, he did a roast for mm-hmm. the Dodgers, and he said, "You're a funny kid. Write me a page of jokes." Wow. And so I did, and he paid me a hundred dollars. Ten years old for a page of jokes. Wow. Uh, so he he is my he's kind of my official first job. Although I did write. My dad was a writer for Mad Magazine, and I wrote. Mm-hmm. Wow some jokes for a super spectacular mad magazine. There was like super sticker ads. I wrote one of the ads and my dad submitted it and it got in and mad magazine didn't give me credit. But my dad took mad stationery and folded a $5 bill in and sent it to me. So he paid me $5 for my first joke. That's so cool. Wow. Mad magazine and Harvey Corman. That's a good combination for the first time you got paid. Uh, Do you remember the worst? It's amazing. I know. Yeah. That is amazing, dude. That's, that's, Fucking incredible. Well, wait, back up. I submitted a joke to my dad. (laughs) (laughs) And he took it. He took maybe maybe I did 10 of them and he took one of them. (laughs) And he sent me like tooth fairy money in an envelope. So I don't know how impressed you need to be about that. 
John's dad won't even take a birthday card from I was just going to say, he doesn't even call me on my birthday. Okay. Well, yeah, my dad's cooler than your dad. But yeah, I, I get that. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, God, that's fucking great. But but no one, did you keep in touch with Harvey Corman or you just, that was like, wrote the page of jokes and. <laughs> I didn't, like, no, like, I don't, I don't think there's a place for a big friendship between 10 year old Jake Hogan and. And forty-year-old Harvey Corman. I don't uh, know, man. I don't know Hollywood back in the day. It's yeah, all, you know. I, don't know. I, don't, I think it'd probably be a little inappropriate, even back then. <laughs> but uh, I, didn't have, I didn't have his phone number. But, uh, but my dad did. My dad could. My dad was a writer on the Carbonetra, so my dad knew Harvey. My mom right, and dad wow. knew Carol and Harvey and Tim Conway and all those people. And That's they, uh, so yes, but I mean, I did not keep in touch. It was one of my favorite movies at the time, Blazing Saddles. I, w I was never able to tell him how great he was in that. The movie. best fucking movie. Uh, that yeah. was the, still, like I think, like the top tier comedy movies today. Uh, uh, yes, say, uh, no, you can't you can't show it to anyone. But yeah. I was going to say it's one of those ones that I'm yeah. not even kidding. Like I thought, you know, you know, there was that period of time where they were like ripping songs off of like you know streaming services, and all of a sudden taking TV shows off the air. I bought. Blazing Saddles. I was like, they're gonna get rid of it. I don't know how. I don't know why. But if I don't have a fucking copy of this, I'm gonna regret it. You're right. It's true. Yeah. And 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 I understand why. It oh might yeah. Be problematic. I get it. Yeah. But it's it's what's interesting is that it is. It's written by co-written by Richard Pryor. Yep. And it's yeah very pro, the message in it is very pro-black and very pro-anti-racist message, yeah. but. The icon, the, you know, the the iconography and the sort of tropes in it can be perceived as very racist. So in this day and age, you can't touch that, even though it's smart and it's well intentioned, and I think it serves a much higher and wonderful purpose. Yeah, I I completely agree. It's just a shame that we're not allowed to look at nuance and intent and any of that kind of stuff. Have you? I think you're in it, honest, honestly. And forgive me if I ask you this, and you and you're like, actually, I was in it. Have you seen the CNN thing? That's uh, the history of the TV show. His, his, his I, I'm, I'm not in it and i haven't really watched it okay so because i'm not in it i watch nothing that i'm not in <laughs> <laughs> fuck them you know what you should be in it fuck cnn <laughs> it's the weirdest thing because like i, I it's it's uh it's 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 good like i'm enjoying it like it's like six episodes in i don't know how long the whole thing is but it's kind of sets you up a little bit because the whole preview for it is like tv's great these sitcoms these great stars we got all these people over and then, like, somewhere in the middle of it, they just tell you you're a piece of shit if you liked Three's Company. And they just right. slip it in, like, subtly, where they're like, <laughs> where you're watching them, like, oh, I remember that, I remember watching that. And right. then they're like, you're a bad person. <laughs> Sexist. Yeah. Sexist, and I'm backwards. Like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. why would my, I'm like, I feel bad for my parents who are watching that kind of shit, where they're like, they're just trying to stroll down memory lane in their right. 60s. And then they get slammed with, uh, you raised yeah, your children wrong. I mean, you know? listen. Times have changed. I watched uh, Trading Places two nights ago on uh, one of the cables, and there's a scene where Dan Aykroyd is completely in blackface. Yep. He comes into the train and completely in blackface and does a Jamaican, sort of African-slash-Jamaican accent, and it's great, but yeah, holy crap. Like, I know. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Uh, that is... Somebody could be canceled today for doing anything like that. But, oh my but God. somebody said, Jay, you're, uh, I have your father's Mad Magazine movie and TV parodies influenced your writing. Oh, how have? Okay, well, yes. And, <clears throat> uh, yes, I mean, my father's writing in uh, Mad Magazine, but also in, you know, television is, he, he's, he, my father's a genius. My father's really funny. And I show him scripts now. 
even mm. now he's 87. He'll be really funny. He might not know some of the references I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning, but he's he knows about human nature. He knows comedy, and he knows uh, what's funny, and he's always really, really funny. Um, the Foldens that you're referring to, I believe you're thinking of uh, of Al Jaffe, who did the Foldens at the back of the magazine. But my father's parody, he did write a lot of parodies and a lot of other things that uh, uh, were in Mad Magazine. And yes, it was a big part of my childhood. And a, his James Bomb, James Bomb parodies yeah. uh, were great. And, uh, you know, I loved trying to help him name things and do stuff with him. He, he was a big influence in me and, and encouraged me to become a writer while at the same time discouraged me from becoming a writer. <laughs> did he, w w did he, I'm assuming since you were younger, when you started doing stand up, he took you to those gigs. No, I drove myself. You did? 16 years old. Wow. Okay. I figured, because I remember, uh, well, I mean, it's where they say, but I remember, you know, when Fallon started, because I worked uh, worked with him, he had told me his dad had taken him to like all those gigs and stuff like my that. Da my beginning. dad used to take me to watch shows at the okay. Improv and the Comedy Store when I was young. My mom and dad and my sister, we all would go. Uh, but but when I started doing, decided to go open mic nights and that kind of stuff, my mm -hmm. dad said, good luck. So, like, you know, <laughs> uh, and rightfully yeah. so. Right. And I also didn't want to bomb in front of him. I mean, just, you know, yeah. let me bomb in front of no one. Uh, yeah. And today you have to. Oh, well, I mean, when I started doing stand up, they were doing the bringer shows were fucking huge. So they were like, bring 15 people. You can't get on stage. And then, you know, each time you want to get on stage, they had to see the same shitty five minutes you were trying. And they're like, right. I don't want to go anymore. Right. <laughs> and you're like, oh, <clears throat> but yeah, um, my dad is a huge influence, remains a huge influence. I'm lucky to have him continue to, uh, in my life and my creative life. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, so the you started on the Tracy Ullman show, started writing there, went from there to what was your next gig? The after Simpsons, that? the Simpsons and the Tracy Ullman show sort of collided. Yeah, Simpsons came out of the Tracy Ullman show, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and and that we were the Wally and I. I call him Mark, but his his writing name is Wally Wolodarski. Wally Wolodarski and I were the first writers, aside from Sam Simon and Matt Groening, to be writing on the Simpsons. Mm -hmm. So it was wow. a really fun, weird environment to. Just be sitting around the four of us saying, "Well, this we could do a show about anything." You know, <laughs> literally, you know, we could draw anything. It could be any possibility. So it was kind of fun to sort of figure out how big we wanted to make it, and we wanted to make it pretty big. Coming from the world of sketch writing, where everything was in a very enclosed room with a limited number of people, mm -hmm. having the the freedom to make a movie, the most expensive movie of all time. Yeah, you know, would but be in twenty minutes. <laughs> was thrilling right a quarter well, of a page in a new place and a lot of extras and like, we didn't have to worry about any of that stuff yeah what was the so was there a lot of influence like from matt when you guys because the the way the show evolved from or the characters evolved especially homer from like the first season onward did you guys have a discussion about that or did the writers naturally kind of evolve those characters themselves both the the discussions came early on when the character on the shorts that Matt Groening and uh, David Silverman uh, produced uh, was this kind of grumpy guy who talked like this and kind of Walter <laughs> Matthau. And, um, and then he, from the beginning of the Simpsons TV show, he changed a little bit and got softer. They, they redrew him to yes. be softer. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and they redrew him continually through the first season. And so he became softer, warmer, Less like Walter Matthau, a little bit more learning disabled um, <laughs> and, you know, goofier. 
and and uh, and the writers leaped on Goofy. I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. there's nothing more fun than to write dumb jokes. Yeah. And so he became a very quickly one of the most popular or the most popular character to write. Do you have a favorite dumb joke of home, that Homer's done? My favorite dumb joke, I have two. Okay. One I wrote, mm-hmm. um, which uh, and one John Vitti wrote. Uh, the one I wrote is in uh, Last Exit to Springfield, where Homer is considering having more beer or getting dental care for his daughter. And he goes, dental care, beer. And it's an interior monologue. Yeah. And dental care, beer, dental care, beer. And it goes on for two pages. <laughs> like the clear answer is dental care for his daughter. Right. But it goes on for way, way, way too long. And we wrote. <laughs> We filled up two pages of that thing or three pages of that thing. They cut it down to like what page and a half. But, but I mean, the joke is how long could it go on? Right. How stupid could he be? And then he turns out very stupid. The other joke that I love, and it's very early on, written by, I believe, John Vitti is Homer goes to the freezer because he wants uh, chocolate ice cream. He goes, mm, chocolate ice cream. And he opens a Neapolitan ice cream uh box and the all the chocolate section is scooped out <laughs> and then he goes to another box same thing neapolitan mm-hmm. there's vanilla strawberry and the chocolate has been scooped out mm-hmm. he has mm, chocolate third time uh, chocolate i wish chocolate and he tries to get it and the chocolate <laughs> scooped out and then it, there's no more ice cream and he should call smart marge we need more neapolitan ice cream <laughs> because he's too dumb to know you can just get chocolate right he's too dumb Oh, that's that's fucking genius. I love that joke. One of my one of my things I think about all the time because I have no uh, sense of direction whatsoever. Right. And people, you know, I had made numerous phone calls before, like good GPS existed where I'm like, I don't know where I am or whatever. And I always think of uh, Chief Wiggum, Chief Wiggum and Homer in the police car tailing, I think, Marge and some woman or whatever. And uh, uh, Lou contacts the chief and he's like, chief, give me your location. He goes, ah, geez, ah, I see trees, ah, pavement, ah, I'm under the earth, sun, now. <laughs> I, I I, literally have cracked up every time I've been lost because I'm like, where the fuck am right. I? Oh, it kills me. I love goofy shit like that. It just, yes. it, you guys do that beautifully with those uh, those characters. We had fun, boy. I mean, those were those are fun, fun characters to write. Those are fun characters to do. There's, uh, you know, we had really, you know, the world was our oyster. We could do any any set of characters. We kept building more and more people, hundreds of characters uh, that we could reuse all the time. I said that we're lucky enough to have, you know, this three guys and and two women who could do well, six, three women who could do a ton of voices. So yeah. it didn't cost the show much money to do that. Of course, now in retrospect, you know, these white guys doing characters who were not white uh, is <laughs> yeah. not great. So that was a mistake, but it, we, that was a financial decision, not a right based decision. Right. Do you think there's like a bit of a, cause I know Hank Azaria apologized for doing it or whatever, but I also read that Matt Groening was like, yeah, no, we're not changing a poo. So uh, did, do you, did you read about that? Did you kind of feel like he said, we're not changing a poo. What do you mean? Yeah, well, he did, he so he basically said a poo. poo's not going anywhere, uh, and but, then Hank Azaria said that a, a poo is um like they're gonna he doesn't want yeah, to do a poo Hank anymore. Hank hasn't done a poo for years. Right, he stopped doing it, and then I think Apu just hasn't appeared in the show at all. Oh, he hasn't. Okay, because yeah. I read something about where Matt had said Matt Groening had basically said Matt, like he's Matt, not. Matt, 
dug in his feet for about three seconds and then suddenly <laughs> feet of clay. Exactly. And then that's no, Matt, that. Matt, uh, Matt, that doesn't sound like Matt. Matt is okay. very woke and he would not, I don't think he would say like you people who, this character who I've create, helped create and offend you deeply, I want to insist upon doing forever. <laughs> that's not Matt's okay. That's what I was. I was like a little confused by what I'd read, and I was just like, I don't yeah. understand because Hank had one opinion, and then they said that Matt Matt Groening had another. Did you hear the theory that's going around about the Simpsons, where uh, the reason why they've never aged is because technically, if you add up all the episodes and the time they've been on, not that much time has passed in the Simpsons world. Like if you if you go by the twenty minute episodes, and then you know, I somebody did some kind of crazy math where like. They're really not that much older. I'm like, obviously, nobody put that much thought into it, but it that's, is kind of funny. That's a truly stupid theory. Right? I mean, that's what I like. That's I'm a like... ridiculous theory. I mean, because when we do like high school flashback episodes, when we did it in 1990, the mm -hmm. flashback episodes was to the 70s or something or the or late 70s. When right. We do it. When when they, when they do it now in 2020, they flash back to the 2010s. Right, right, There's right. There's no, it's, it's. They're moving in time. They're it's just this not weird, getting older. Yeah, it's this weird yeah. TikTok thing, dude. I swear to God, they're all about the Sim. Like, there's this TikTok strain about the Simpsons and well, how they don't I'm age. I'm shocked that TikTok would pr promote <laughs> anything moronic. Uh, but you should yes, see I what mean, they, they say about vaccines. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they they uh, they also say that the Simpsons were were geniuses in predicting the future, which is also insane that is hilarious so yeah it is kind of bizarre though well, you know what the thing is is like it's like yeah if you get a bunch of comedy writers in a writer's room they're gonna think of the most absurd ridiculous shit and eventually it'll happen some of those things will happen and some of those things have yeah but yes we're, we're making a lot of jokes every yeah. episode it's 20 minutes of jokes basically three or four jokes a page times 20 times 800 mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so <laughs> So that's a lot of jokes. I you don't were, know the math exactly. Well, you you were around when Conan came came on, right? I was there, yes, when Conan came. Conan came later, uh, two years after I did. Yeah. Right, and then there's that whole the monorail episode. Everybody's, you know, he loves that episode. Everybody's favorite episode or whatever. Do you have any like writers' room shenanigans, like stuff that went down? Anything like? Did you guys all kind of get along, or was it like a joke yeah, never right. got on? And you like anything you had to fight for, like joke wise, or was it all pretty much like what you thought was funny oh, made it? Well, we 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 fought about certain jokes i mean the, i wrote an episode where homer falls down a cliff and uh bart the daredevil and that was a huge fight mm -hmm. because we were we we're trying very hard to not be a cartoon so okay. the whole idea is we're a real show we don't have cartoon physics we have real life physics if somebody mm -hmm. gets falls down a cliff they die right. or if somebody gets hit yeah. by a truck they die they don't it's not bugs bunny you know we're trying to play this real so uh, I said there are people who fall down cliffs and live. You know, they would go to the yeah. they would go to the hospital, but they would live, and mm -hmm. uh, and and they would get really hurt. And if I showed Homer getting really hurt and going to the hospital, I think we could be able to do it. And there was none. Of, there was a fight about it. Matt wow. Matt Groening didn't want it. I think I'm not sure Jim Brooks wanted it. Wow. Uh, and then eventually Sam Simon, who was the executive <laughs> producer of the show fought for it anyway and said we're, we're trying it we're doing it we can always cut it out and it turned into one of the funniest sequences i've ever seen in the tv show i mean i'm so happy as one of the my proudest moments of the simpsons is that buster keaton style physical yeah. comedy that was so well directed and so well executed 
it's just nonstop. I won't. I mean, Homer thinks he's going to. Uh, Bart is going to try and jump a cliff on a skateboard because he's a big fan of of uh, Major Lance Murdoch, like an Evil Knievel style daredevil. Mm-hmm. And Homer says, "I love you. I don't want you to do it." He says, "Why well, can't just put all these people?" And Homer says, "Well, fine. I'll do it." Some version of that. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, "I'll do it for you." I, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather sacrifice myself than see my my son get hurt. Mm-hmm. So he does it, and he knows it was a mistake from the get-go, but then he starts flying and he thinks he can make it. He thinks he can make it. He's saying, I'm king of the world, which was before Titanic. Yeah. It's not a parody of Titanic. They took that from us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, it becomes very clear as he's approaching the cliff that he is, starts dropping before the end of the cliff. <laughs> and then he smashes in the cliff and goes boom, boom, boom. Hits his head and rocks. Boom, boom. It's a long way down. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of oh, 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 uh, uh, every time to the bottom. We see a helicopter rescue Homer, put him in a gurney. The gurney on the way up smashes into the rocks as he gets up. He gets put into an ambulance. The ambulance drives off, hits a tree. The doors (laughs) open up. He falls out of the gurney and back down the hill, back down the mountain. So fucking good. I am in heaven. That is my my heaven. I know it's goofy. I know it's, but it's my dream joke. We got it done and I made it. I was so happy that it got made and made well. And um, I think ultimately I heard Matt say at some point it was one of his favorite sequences too. So he came around. Wow. That's awesome. That's I a good vividly win. remember that one. Yeah. Vividly. Yeah. Me yeah. too. <laughs> that was one of the first ones I got my parents to watch. I remember when I was a kid and like, you know, cause they didn't, I, I watched the Simpsons. They didn't or whatever, but we were watching that episode and I remember them like laughing out loud. And I was like, yeah, it is a funny episode, uh, even though you know I, I say you know uh, not without any humility, uh, but there's a really there's a point at which Lance Murdoch, who's this daredevil, is going to jump over a shark a tank full of sharks, mm-hmm. and and to add the extra element of danger, they also put a lion in the shark tank. So there's <laughs> a lion swimming with the sharks, <laughs> and so you see the lion's eyes above the water. <laughs> the sharks. It's like to me that was. Why wouldn't the sharks eat the lot? Like it was great. <laughs> and when Matt Lance Murdoch falls in, fights off the sharks, yeah. starts to crawl out of the shark tank, and the lion comes up and pulls him back in. <laughs> Again, great physical comedy. Oh god, that's fucking great. I oh somebody had said uh, if the Simpsons were to premiere today, say on Netflix, you think the language would be more R-rated, F-words, etc. Gosh, I don't know. Um, I think we most writers operate within the boundaries that are set for them by their bosses. Um, yeah, we have a creative vision, but my creative vision for The Simpsons doesn't necessitate dirty words. Hmm. Um, you know, I think there's kind of a value to not using dirty words when you don't need to. I mean, you know, it should things should seem like what they're supposed to be. If you're doing The Sopranos. You should absolutely say dirty word. Gangsters should talk the way gangsters talk. Yeah. Uh, if you're doing The Simpsons, which is a family-oriented show or family show, then you talk the way families talk in general. Some families use more dirty words than others, but I think in general, you know, you try and sort of clean it up in front of the kids. So mm-hmm. uh, I suspect that we would do that. And also knowing that it's a show, we never intended the show to be for kids. But once we found out kids were watching, we were a little... Um, aware, we were aware of making sure that the subject matter wasn't 
too racy too much of the time. What what was the the, the idea behind uh like, cause I don't know if you guys did this consciously or if it was just like, you know, it's funny. It's funny, whatever. Cause Homer's a doofus. You know, he's like, you said, he's got some mental problems, whatever. Every now and again, you guys do a thing where he's gen- he has a genuinely smart remark and it's actually like, it's just a nice surprise. I remember one episode where, uh, it was the one where Bart's in love and he's in his treehouse and Marge is worried about him and all out of the blue, she just goes, what do you think he's doing up there? And he goes, what am I Kreskin? You tell me what he's doing. It was just the best, like you wouldn't expect it to come from Homer. <laughs> <laughs> it was All such right. a great love. Like, I didn't, you know, he, he's, you know, he normally doesn't have like that quick wit, but he's like, what am I, Kreskin? You tell me what he's doing. <laughs> you know, my interpretation of that is that's a stupid line. That is somebody, <laughs> that is somebody saying, yeah, what am I, Kreskin? Of course, Marge doesn't think he's Kreskin. Yeah, so yeah. that's, that's, that's a, a leap like forward from a dumb guy. So that's just my interpretation. That's great. Uh, I'd read <laughs> and so he wrote I, it. Any, yeah. I don't remember that. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. That's such a great. Um, there's a there's something else I read about The Simpsons too, and it was kind of a way like the way you guys would handle the guest stars on the show. Um, somebody equated it to like an SNL thing. I don't know if that's true or not. Again, like I said, I just read it, but like um, like you, certain guest stars or whatever would kind of have an input, I guess, on what they were doing or whatever. Um, no, we wrote we wrote the parts for the people, right, and. If uh, somebody had a big complaint about it, we'd probably change it for them. But I don't know if there's a lot of input about like, oh, okay. this is what my character will be. Or, like we would have the show already thought out right. about what it should be. I mean, there have been shows where, let's say Lady Gaga recently was on it, recently, within the last five years, <laughs> was on the show. And I think they just said, Lady Gaga wants to do the show. Great, we'll write one for Lady Gaga. Oh, okay. And then, but most of the time it was, we have an idea for a show and you know who would be a good guest star to put into this mm-hmm. is, or here's a good character who could play that character, Dustin Hoffman or Michael Jackson or whoever. So, you right. know, it depends on, on what it was. So, but no, we don't, I don't, I don't think we give them free reign. I mean, there are, there have always been like Albert Brooks, people who improvise have always had a, an opportunity to create their own character and their own jokes. Right. Um, because mainly because they're really good friends with Jim Brooks. So uh, okay, okay. But yeah, it's yeah. not like it's it's not like it's a playground. It's like mm-hmm. a free playground for comedians to come jam and then we'll figure it out. <laughs> it's, it's really, you know, specifically planned out and okay. storyboarded and stuff like that. So you know right. Yeah, we had uh we had Ed Bagley Jr. on the show and he said he was one of his favorite things to be uh like satirized in The Simpsons in the car that runs off his own uh, self-image or whatever. Uh, right. Was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, you remember who came up with that joke? I don't. I yeah. Don't. I think it was after my time. But, uh, uh, but it was, uh, you know, I mean, it's, you know, when we're recording shows, if there is a guest, um, whoever it is, Dan DeVito, and they want to try a line a different way, we'd always record it. Oh, okay. Their way not rarely use it their way, but record it and just figure mm. out, you know, what's the best, what's the best version. Cause nice. we, we will do record, we'll, you know, we record it like a radio show. So we'll, mm. but we'll do it a line, any particular joke, a few, a couple of times, at least three or four times at least. Awesome. I have one more Simpsons question before we get yeah. into Frasier and this stuff. Why did you guys make the video game so hard? <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you a little too challenged? Is that the problem, dude? I'm not even good. When I was a kid, I got the Simpsons video game for Nintendo, and it, you know, those games back then they made them 
for kids, but they made them fucking impossible to beat. They were like, you're going to get to level eight and then never. It was hilarious. But I love that. You know, that Matt game. Groening had a lot, you know, he, he spent a lot of time working on products. Oh. And so you should ask Matt about that. Also, Matt Selman, who's now one of the exec producers, I think was deep, deeply involved in helping make that video game as well. Uh, I so, love that game. Um, nope. So I don't know. You can ask Matt. I'm sure they, they wanted it to be fun, but not easy. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, I mean, there's a history of them, of, of people making video games back in the day where they were like, they didn't even realize they were making them impossible, but like you would get to a certain point and you'd be like, what the fuck? Like, who played this game? Yeah, uh, I but never it was played a blast. because they were always too frustrating for me. So I didn't, wasn't. Yeah. So what, so how did you get from The Simpsons to then wind up starting writing for Frasier? Well, that journey was at, we got, we got uh, Mark uh, Wallace Walidarski, Wally Walidarski and I mm -hmm. got an a, a deal to go try to develop shows at a Universal TV. So we left The Simpsons to go to a three-year deal to go develop shows. Mm -hmm. We didn't have much luck developing any shows. And then the process was so irritating to my partner, he decided to quit writing TV altogether. Oh, so wow. then I was alone and I was like, okay, well, I got to start again. Mm -hmm. I had to write something to prove that I wasn't just the guy in the room going, that's really funny, Wally. You know, so <laughs> I wrote a, a, a spec script for news radio mm. and then got a job on news radio based on the script. Great. And I then love that show. Quit news radio very quickly afterwards because I hated it. But, okay. but really? then I worked, then I got an offer to write on the Frasier or I got actually three, three show offers, three shows at the same time. Frazier, Seinfeld, and The Single Guy. Wow. And Great they said, shows. If you, if you come work on The Single Guy, we at NBC will give you a put pilot, which means they'll have to make my pilot or give me a lot of money for not making my pilot. And I said, mm -hmm. since I'd had such trouble getting my pilots made it universal, I said, I'll take that one. Mm -hmm. The worst choice, obviously. <laughs> the Single Guy, shitty, shitty version. I mean, compared to Seinfeld and Frazier. Right. Great people. I love the, I love the world, but... So, you know, that, that was the better choice. And then when I wrote my pilot for NBC, they said, we don't want to make it. And by the way, we're not paying you your penalty fee. So uh, no, I hate you, show business. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then I got went looking for another job. And shockingly enough, I got offered again Seinfeld and Frasier. Wow. And I had a pick between these two shows. And my choice came, those are two best shows on TV to me. Mm -hmm. And my choice was, if I go to work on Seinfeld, which is a very, very funny show, but it's also very silly. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if, uh, it's not that much different from The Simpsons. If I go to work on Frasier, the level, the, this artistry of Frasier will add a, a different you know, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. experience and make my resume sort of more full. Like, okay, mm -hmm. he can do broad comedy, but he's also uh, can do sort of human Broadway styles, you know, TV. And, and so I, I took the Frasier. That's awesome. That's I mean, I, I, I love those. Are the Those are great shows. And I love yeah. Frasier and uh, super lucky to be offered those shows. Yeah. The cast is amazing. I mean, John Mahoney was brilliant. To, I mean, especially for those like characters to work off of. They're all good. David, my favorite was David Hyde Pierce. My favorite is he's bar, a genius, not only just an actor, but he's a genius genius, like he, swear to God genius. And he's wow. also a musical genius and he's a writing genius. Oh. He had a problem with the scene. The writers would be standing around thinking, well, how do we do that? And David might come over and whisper to one of the writers, you could do it this way. Blah, 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 blah. And he would always <laughs> have a fix and oh it'd be right. God. And the fix wouldn't be about his character at all. It would just be about the scene. 
Oh, that's uh, he's brilliant. he was fabulous. One of my uh, three three of my favorite David Hyde Pierce moments on that show. I'm, I'm sure there's more, but the ones that come to mind are there's one where he has a dinner party at his ex wife's house, and a dead seal washes up on the shore, and it's tied to a clap on clap off lamp, or they try to tie the lamp to right. it to, to sink it away, and it. I mean that whole sequence absolutely cracks me up makes me laugh every time the other one is when he gets that a happened bird. to the executive producer he no. was he has a house he had a house in uh santa barbara on the beach and he had a dead seal wash up on his <laughs> beach wow and it was like what do we do what do you do with the dead seal right so he disgusting he grabbed gloves and a, and a uh, kayak or something and said took the dead seal and sort of put a rope around it and sort of dragged it out to sea, hoping it would sink to the bottom. And then he would like set it free and paddle back. And then an hour later, half hour later, the seal would wash back up on his, <laughs> on his beach. And that's, that's how they, they made it. Oh that my God. That's amazing. Yeah. The other, the other one is when he gets a, a bird stuck to his head Yes, and it's, t- it's hiding. He's just such a great physical actor. Amazing. And then um, the other one is, uh, I'm sure you know this one too, is when he does the first, what, I don't know what you guys call it, like the beginning of a show, the, the um, not the end. Cold you know, open? The, cold open. So the cold open uh, is completely silent and it's him ironing pants. Yes. And it's all, that is, I, I've never seen anything like that. That always That was a Valentine's Day episode we did in three parts. And yes, that was a whole uh, physical, genius physical thing that, that he did. He's great. Yeah. That, He's the that's, best. And that's incredible. Um, what was, uh, I mean, was the writer's room in that, like, as opposed to The Simpsons, like, a little bit more... Uh, different. The writer's room in The Simpsons was a bunch of kids. I would say, literally, I mean, the average age of people there. We were, I was the youngest writer there. But, I mean, mm-hmm. the average age, I guess, was like 26. Wow. Maybe. And so, really, just goofy college, Harvard Lampoon guys who you know, a little bit too big for their own britches and smart, super smart, but also socially retarded and, and uh, <laughs> you know, making weird jokes and references um, uh, and and socially backwards, I mean, not socially backwards. Uh, and and uh, the Fraser Room was an older, slightly group of older guys who had been much more experienced. Uh, Broadway, you know, a lot, a lot of gay guys in the room, sort of, you know, they ate, we ate, uh, out of cartons, styrofoam cartons at the Simpsons, they ate off of China at wow. at, uh, at wow. Frasier. Um, they had very you know normal hours. They worked from you know ten to six on Frasier at the Simpsons. We were there till three in the morning, four in the morning. We were kids without lives. People were married with children on on Frasier, so it was a different vibe. Um, and I thought I'd get fired pretty quickly from Frasier because I was a loud <laughs> Jewish guy and there was a very quiet room, but. Turns out uh, it wasn't. Uh, I'm, I'm. I fit in oddly enough to that group too. So That's awesome. Man. That was good for me. What oh, was Luda. your? Uh, do you have a? Luda just you... saw a Jew walk by. <laughs> 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 oh, that's uh, yeah. that's. Um, what? Uh, <laughs> when you're in the writers' room and stuff. Callback. It was a callback, people. It was. That was great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you said you didn't like stand up. Uh, <laughs> what, oh, I um, love stand up. I was just bad oh, okay. at it. Oh, you just no, bad I'm not, at it. Okay. I, I will act in anything, anytime. I don't care. <laughs> I, I no longer care if I'm good. Uh, I just want people to hire me. Fantastic. <laughs> Noted. Yeah. Um, I'll get it out there. 
So uh, when you, do you do you are you rigid about what you write? Like, do you if you see an actor kind of improvising, are you like just kind of stick to the line, or you know, are you or do you like to let a good actor play? Like, what's your rule? Well, I don't love people improvising on scripts that are written, yeah. but I do like actors interpreting the scripts in their own way. In other words, I'm not. There are actors who. Uh, they're writers who are saying like say it in the say it the way I hear it in my head. Okay. I want you to say it this way, and they'll give them a reading. Say say it this way. It's like, and they want them to be puppets. I mm. actually like actors. I used to be an actor, and I like I know the process of sort of bringing it to life. And your reading and their reading may be two different ways. Uh, mm. David Hyde Pierce mm. and Kelsey Grammer may take your line and say it in a completely different way. That's so much better than what you ever intended, with mm. extra inflections and meanings and stuff. So. Yeah. You know, I appreciate that, and I'm going to do that. And if there's a uh, a line that they want to improvise that doesn't inter interfere with what we've written, great, pitch it. Right. Let's try it. Try it in a run through. Try it in a rehearsal. Try it. We'll absolutely try it. I have, I'm great with that. I I don't like um, when an actor refuses to do the line that was written because then a lot of work that went into that just gets yeah. thrown out the door. It's mm -hmm. like, well, that's not fair. I'll, I'll listen to your line. You do our line and we'll, we'll see what works. But nice, I yeah. do like actors and I do like actors finding their way, you know, becoming a character and finding a way to the truth mm -hmm. through their character and what they feel is right for their character. Nice. That's generous. Uh, do, do you have it like, what's the most challenging thing you think you've had to overcome in a writer's room? Because you seem to be pretty comfortable at The Simpsons. You said you fit in eventually with the guys at Frasier. You're afraid you're going to fire. But like, as a writer, though, what was like a challenging moment to you for you? I went, I went, you know, when people say you don't understand X because mm. you're not from X. Mm -hmm. So I had, I worked on a show. I quit a show called American Pie, which is about guys from the Midwest, Nebraska. And they said, you know, I would pitch jokes and go, nah, that's not a Nebraska joke. I was like, what, is, what do you mean? It's like, well, you're from L.A. You don't know Nebraska. And like, I, uh, I, I did a joke about a crawler. I said, mm -hmm. yeah, we don't have crawlers in Nebraska. It's like, come on. You <laughs> <laughs> don't have crawlers? What, what kind of donut then yeah. do you have? It's, well, we just have donuts. You just have plain donuts in Nebraska. <laughs> There's no one who ever glazed a donut in Nebraska. So, you know, there's a, that, that's a lie. That's a way to sort of shut you out yeah. of the of the process and i don't like being shut out of the process mm -hmm. so i i acknowledge that i don't know everything and i don't know everything culturally but i am aware that that we all as humans share a lot of things in common and so mm -hmm. even if i don't have the exact uh reference someone in the room who is of that culture nebraska or you know in the in the george lopez if it was latino mm -hmm. you know it's whatever it is they'll have the right reference and they can fairly change it pretty easily, even if the structure of it's right. Right. So that, yeah. that's, so I, I don't like, I don't like the assumption that because I'm me and I'm from where I'm from, I don't get it or I couldn't possibly get it. Or now at my age being in the in my fifties, I couldn't get what millennials are going through or I couldn't get what, right. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm aware of the world. Yeah, so, you have empathy. You know, you understand how things work. <laughs> yeah, and I'm observant, and I've been wa watching the world my whole life, and I continue to watch the world. And I don't know that, and I'm not stuffy, and I'm not sort of you know locked into old time philosophies. I you know I'm, I'm, I try to try to be you know I was always super 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 open and super liberal, and never mm -hmm. 
constrained by convention. So I don't, yeah. nothing sort of throws me in that world. It's just, you know, let me in, let me participate. Right. That's the hardest part. Is that your kind of feeling when a new writer comes in the room? Do you have like a uh, general awareness of how you like to be treated and how you've been treated? So when somebody new comes into the fold, do you kind of like, if you see them struggling, do you, do you kind of get in there and help or do you go, he'll always, find his way? Always. Nice. If a new writer's struggling, I, 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 I help, but also not just for them, for me. Like if, mm. if they're struggling, they're wasting my time and theirs, you know, a lot, a lot of time they're pitching things that I can't use. Sometimes their, their, their behavior is distracting mm -hmm. because they're nervous. Right. When you're a, when you're a new writer, like, oh, you're so desperate to get your thing in. Like mm -hmm. you want your joke to get in, man. And if it gets in, it's like a victory. And then if it gets cut out, it's a heartbreak. It's like you're living and dying with each moment of mm -hmm. each joke. And then after a while, if you've done it a while, you want your jokes in, but if your joke gets cut or you know, you'll yeah. pitch another joke. So you have to get them past that, that, that frustration, that moment. And you also, a lot of, a lot of writers, I was one of those writers thought that every fucking joke I pitched when I first was golden and people who <laughs> didn't get it were idiots. And so, you know, I'm screaming at James L. Brooks, like, you don't get it, man. You don't get me. Like, <laughs> he gets me. He's really smart. He yeah. gets it. So I just had to figure out, you know, ultimately that that cockiness is unjustified. No one knows what's really funny. There's always a shot that whatever you think is going to is perfect or 100 percent might miss. Mm -hmm. Try it. You always everybody try it and you see, you know, if the writer's room likes it, that's a good shot that other people might like it. If we do it on stage and people are laughing there, it's a good shot. It still might work. If it show it to a studio audience and they laughing, it's still a good shot, but it still could get cut out mm. anywhere along the way and then land on TV and still lay flat when you watch it. So you never wow. know. I feel like I have so many more questions for you. We have uh, literally like three minutes left. So I got to ask you the one we ask everybody. Uh, and uh, if you, if you could go back in time, if you could give yourself, your younger self, a Still piece baby of Hitler. <laughs> no? Okay, keep going. Time to the time sure. machine. Yeah, that'd be fine. <laughs> While you're doing that. Right. Uh, you know, you do that, you come back. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you could give yourself a piece of advice that would help you now, something that you only know now, but it would help your younger self, what would it be? Well, the advice I give my son and I give every, every, generally every boy, but every girl too, who is of high school age, but any time between the age of 15 and 25 is you're so much better than you think you are. You're so much, the insecurities that you have, that mm -hmm. you think I am, the, th the things that you think are that are separating you out and making you uh, less than are bullshit. Everybody is feeling that way. Everybody feels less than. Everybody is full of insecurities. All those people who you think look happy and are, living life to their fullest and living their best lives. And especially now on Facebook, they're all so insecure. They're all full of <laughs> doubt. They're all full. They don't, no one knows what the fuck they're doing. So right. if you can embrace that and realize that nobody knows what the fuck you're doing and combine that with the idea that you're so much more attractive than you think you are. You're so much funnier than you think you are. You're so much better than you think you are. You don't have to be afraid of life. You can go out and just really live life and then, Make your mistakes, but don't don't stop yourself from moving forward because on the count of you don't think you're good enough because that's bullshit. And that is 100 percent true. And it's I find that universal to all every everybody of a certain age. When you get to be older, 
you care less and you yeah. sort of embrace yourself and and know that everybody has these flaws and insecurities. But when you're you're in your high school and your teens and your twenties, you don't think that. You think there's the golden people in you. Yep. Absolutely, man. That was beautiful. Um, I feel like I'm going to cut that out. And if I get to go back in time, I'm just going to give myself that advice. I'm going to be like, listen to Jake Hogan. <laughs> I could go back, yes, to, uh, to kill baby Hitler. But not just baby Hitler, all babies in Germany at a certain point. <laughs> yes, it's a lot of work. Just oh, in case it was just... nature and not nurture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, wow. Some um, of the air in Germany. Amazing. Um, yeah. Dude, thank you so, so much for being on. It was a blast. I feel like it went by way too quick. I hope yes. you uh, had a good time. I want to promote I want to promote my uh, yes, Jake Hogan's Philosophy Friday on Twitter. Go to at Jake Hogan, at J-A-Y-K-O-G-E-N on Twitter on Fridays. And tomorrow is Friday, so probably sometime around 3 o'clock Pacific, we'll start Philosophy Friday. Every We take out a subject or any of your questions about the Simpsons or life or any existential angst, and we talk about people's problems in a very loving, caring environment. We also make fun of you, and it's a really <laughs> fun little thing I do and have done for a year or so, and it's been quite enjoyable. Also, Charlie Kogan, who's a singer-songwriter. He's my kid. He's really talented. Go on YouTube and look up Charlie Kogan, K-O-G-E-N, and listen to some of his songs. They're great. He's on uh, Spotify, and he's on Amazon Music, and go listen to his albums and his music and support him because uh, otherwise I'm going to have to support him and I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. We'd love to have him on the show too, man. Great. Awesome. Thank you All so right. much. It was good seeing you. Uh, I hope to see you again soon. And Yeah, uh, anytime. You know. This has been lovely. Thanks, man. Appreciate That's it. Take care. Pleasure. So nice to meet you. Nice Peace. to meet you guys. Dystopia Tonight.